so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of the day and also to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend, Klon Kitchen, who's a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and we talk about technology policy, national security, and the rise of China. At AEI, Klon focuses on the intersection of national security and defense technologies and innovation. Through his research, he works to understand and explain how emerging technologies are shaping modern statecraft, intelligence, and warfighting, while focusing on cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, robotics, and quantum sciences. Before joining AEI, Klon was the director of the Heritage Foundation Center for Technology Policy, where he led an enterprise-wide interdisciplinary effort to understand and shape the nation's most important technology issues. Prior to joining Heritage, Klon was a national security advisor to Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska and also the staff director of the National Security and International Trade and Finance Subcommittee of the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Klon, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of what, what work you do at your new role at AEI? Number one, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I am a, a resident uh, fellow and scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, uh, where I focus on technology and national security issues. So that's going to include everything from specific defense stuff, as well as you know just foreign policy more broadly, and then also uh, homeland security, all with that technology nexus. You're one of my favorite thinkers in this area, especially with technology policy, because of how thoughtful you are and how clear you are on so many of these issues. These issues can be pretty complex at times. Um, In your personal research, you do a lot of focusing on the intersection of technology and specifically national security, given your background. So what are some of kind of the primary threats or kind of the big issues that we should be thinking about in terms of technology and security right now? Uh, Yeah, so... I think the the larger point is that technology is now this uh, defining variable for virtually all security issues, right? It's it's a um, it's the context in which uh, foreign policy and national security policy has to be made. It's uh, the capabilities that we're leveraging for our own defense, and it's also the capabilities that our challengers are leveraging to. Uh, imperil our, our interests. So it um, 
you know, in the same way that technology is shaping just, you know, our normal lives and just becoming ubiquitous and, and you know, ever present, uh, it's increasingly gaining that stature uh, within these national security and foreign policy environments where it's, it's, it's how nations enrich themselves and it's how nations actually conduct statecraft. And there are a lot of varying kind of points of view on the way that technology companies and even countries themselves interact with technology kind of on the global stage. We've talked a good bit about China on technology here on Weekly Tech and getting into issues with the Chinese Communist Party and their global ambitions, um, most of which are pretty well known at this point. They have mass surveillance of their people, including the mass detention and the human rights violations surrounding the Uyghur Muslims. Um, all the way to issues of developments and kind of wanting to lead the world in developments of artificial intelligence and biotechnology. But the CCP in the Chinese Communist Party really isn't governed by a lot of the same rules that we have here in the West or in America. What are some of the security issues in terms of China and the way that they use technology to even penetrate the United States or even endanger the lives of their own citizens? So there's a, there's a couple of things there. I think um – one of the key things to understand is is the the kind of big picture why why is the Chinese Communist Party or as you said the CCP pursuing technology this way? So China is like every government or or country in the history of the world in that it it wants to you know build geopolitical influence and and wield that influence, and that's you know that's a coherent way of operating in the in the international system. Uh, and I think they have rightly concluded that leading in key technologies is going to be essential for doing that. And, you know, the United States also agrees with that, generally speaking. The, the difference is, is that the Chinese Communist Party is primarily focused on securing its own rule inside of China. And it is trying to pioneer a new model of, of governance where they marry the wealth of you know a, a centrally managed capitalism with the stability of an authoritarianism. Both of those goals, the wealth and the stability, are understood to be critically enabled by technology, right? So a, a technology industry builds the economic wealth and a technology capability allows them to do the types of mass surveillance that you're describing, whether it be facial recognition or, or artificial intelligence, you know, data mining and that kind of thing. So tech is this critical variable that they see as being the heart of them being able to realize this kind of Chinese dream. So I just I say that just to simply illustrate like how important this really is in the Chinese government's mind. Because I think that sets the conditions for understanding why they're pursuing this as aggressively as they are, right? And so internally, there are very few barriers to them getting the data they need. Uh, you know, they, they, the, the Chinese government has effective control over any Chinese company. There's no such thing as saying no to the Chinese government uh, if you're a company operating in China. Uh, they have, you know, the ability to exercise draconian control over all of their citizens, and, and, and they're not afraid to do that. There's massive human rights violations going on, uh, certainly with the Uyghurs, but not just with the Uyghurs. Um, and some of those things are being turned against the Christian church uh, as well. And so, uh, you know, this is meaningful, important stuff. In addition to that, though, they are also trying to collect as much data 
outside of China as possible. And one of the key mechanisms for doing that type of collection is through Chinese companies who operate overseas. Because by Chinese law, even if it's operating overseas, a Chinese company has to make uh, any data they collect accessible to the Chinese government. And that was at the, the heart of a lot of American concerns about TikTok, uh, which is owned by a Chinese parent company called ByteDance. All of the engineering work and, and a host of the back-end work of that application exists in China and therefore is susceptible to all of those laws that I've just been describing. So uh, data is, is, a, is a key you know, resource in what China's trying to do. They're going to uh, acquire that resource internally and externally in a very aggressive manner. Yeah. One of the things I want to dig in a little bit there is, as you specifically mentioned with TikTok, I know that was kind of all the news going into the fall of 2020, especially with President Trump and his administration's stance on TikTok and his um, aggressive stance in many ways against China um, in terms of business deals, but also in many ways related to kind of the ethical and moral treatment um, of the Uyghur Muslims and other uh, people groups within China. But specifically with TikTok, I think that was one that kind of rose um, in the public awareness of this could be a really dan a dangerous app. Um, can you dig in a little bit about what specifically was controversial about TikTok itself and also some of the business relationships that China has with their technology companies? Yeah. So imagine I told you, um, well, no, imagine you woke up tomorrow morning and there were news reports that said um, China had secretly distributed over 300 million sensors around the United States or 100 million sensors around the United States. Um, that when an American walked by them, collected all of your internet history, all of your networks, even your keystroke patterns on your phone, knew what you bought, knew what you looked at, uh, all that kind of stuff. There would be justifiably a collective, you know, freak out, right? I mean, it, what have they done? Oh my gosh. Well, TikTok collects all of that information and they have a hundred million U.S. users, so it's exactly what I'm describing. It's just not secret. You know, the U.S. users downloaded it and put it on their phone. Uh, and all of that, by the way, is listed in their user agreement that everybody just kind of clicks through when they when they get the app. But, you know, in, including keyboard swipes, right? I mean, like they know and just think about what I mean, if they know your keyboard swipes, that can be used to um, replicate or or or, you know, discover perhaps passwords that you're typing in at some point or reconstruct messages that you're putting into, uh, uh, you know, a chat function or an email or anything like that. So, I mean, there's a real uh, concern here. Now, the reason why it got so much attention is because no Chinese um, social media app certainly had gained that level of traction in the U.S. marketplace. I mean, it is a juggernaut. It is still growing in the United States. It is uh, loved by many U.S. users, particularly uh, younger users. And, um, you know, most Americans aren't thinking about cybersecurity. They're thinking about how fun it is with the, you know, to join with their friends and do, you know, kind of kooky dances and upload them and that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that per se, but it doesn't change anything about the actual technological threat that comes with it. And uh, I think that needs to be I think that needs to be better understood. 
Yeah, and we have a new year and a new administration with the Biden administration as they approach China policy, specifically countering China uh, morally and ethically, but even technologically. And there's been a lot of discussion surrounding the way that the unit, what's the new U.S. posture towards China? What is, are there any kind of updates specifically on kind of the way we're thinking about TikTok and the security threat with TikTok, or has that kind of fallen off public awareness? Uh, no, I, I I think one of the, the striking things about the Biden administration is that on China policy, the tone is changing, but the substance is not. Um, and they have uh, – so recently the Biden administration actually uh, scuttled a deal for a U.S. acquisition of TikTok. And right now that ban is, you know, still I think going to occur they're uh, actually pursuing even larger policy um, reviews right now in terms of how we deal with technological supply chains that go through China. Um, right now, the, the Secretary of State Blinken and the rest of the administration uh, are actually showing a, a pretty strong posture when it comes to China. And even under the Trump administration, while some people you know may or may not like the way he went about certain things, the reality is, is that one of the few places where that administration enjoyed bipartisan support was on getting tougher with China. And that's because the underlying facts are just so well established and, you know, their implications are so significant that policymakers on both sides of the aisle were forced to realize that, you know, this isn't a game anymore. It's the kind of thing that really needs to be addressed. I know in the last few weeks, the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence released a report, kind of a monumental report. I think it's like 756 pages or so. Uh, so a substantial report about the state of artificial intelligence around the globe and specifically was highlighting the technological race between China and the United States. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to dig into the report or any of that, but it's, what are some of the high-level takeaways from the report, and what actions do you think we need to take as uh, the United States to reduce a lot of the security threat for our nation when it's facing challenges from China and other countries on the technology front? So I've only begun, as you said, it's a 700-page report, and I've only begun to dig into it. Um, but the key takeaways from it are that American leadership in uh, emerging technologies, particularly in artificial intelligence, can no longer be assumed. Uh, and that, you know, that in and of itself is, is a real change in terms of, you know, our national posture. Um, they, I think, do a good job of explaining and laying out why that is the case. And I think one of the key distinctions, just, you know, to give your listeners a, a, a bit of, you know, granular understanding on some of this, um, when it comes to what I'll call AI discovery, so the, the actual research and, uh, you know, kind of bleeding edge uh, computer science, the United States still very much leads in that category. We're the ones who are largely discovering all of the new discoveries when it comes to AI. But where China is excelling and where their advantages are beginning to accumulate is in the application of those discoveries. They have a very large um, population that is increasingly coming online. That population is aggressive in adopting technologies. Their economic players are aggressive in building companies around these AI technologies. And so what we are seeing is um, China really jumping forward in terms of being able to leverage the discoveries that we're making and then build businesses around them. Uh, and, you know, in a, in a world where AI is fed by data, 
you know, that's the lifeblood of data. China produces a lot of data. And as we've been talking, there's very few barriers uh, in terms of the government's access to those, uh, to that data. And, you know, that, that, that will ultimately result in, in these kind of growing advantages. And the report is explaining that we need to, one, understand these dynamics, and two, begin addressing them more um, aggressively. I know a lot of our listeners have heard um, or even been starting to use various 5G networks. And there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of debate and even a lot of conspiracy theories uh, surrounding the rollout of 5G networks. Can you give us kind of a high-level overview of what 5G is, how it can be used, and are there any threats or any are there any kind of security issues with 5G that we need to be aware of specifically in relation to China and its technology? The key constraint... Uh, that has prevented uh, a great deal of technological advancement hasn't actually been a lack of ingenuity or, or a lack of creativity. It's actually been the, the pipes, right? The, the actual pipes that we push information through. We've, we've just gotten to a point to where pushing as much information through our data pipes as we possibly could. We've been limited by physics. Well, 5G dramatically expands the size of those pipes. In fact, it's a larger growth in what we call data throughput um, in one generation than any other generational evolution in the telecommunications uh, industry before. So it's, it is a massive improvement in terms of how much data we can put through these, uh, these data pipes. Uh, and that's going to create all kinds of new things. You know, before we went to 4G, we couldn't push enough data through that would enable things like Uber where you had to be able to do real-time GPS tracking of a vehicle in, you know, at scale. Well, as soon as we got pipes you know, big enough to push that data through, all of a sudden, we got new industries that didn't exist before in the sharing economy. So we don't really know what this generational leap in terms of 5G is actually going to produce. All that we know is that it's a massive, massive change, right? And it's, and it's almost assuredly going to uh, give rise to entirely new industries. So that's that's the that's the basics of, of 5G. Um, there's a couple of, of key challenges that come with with 5G, particularly as it regards to Chinese companies building our 5G infrastructure. So this is companies like Huawei and ZTE. So the first the first challenge is just a general cybersecurity challenge. I won't bore your your listeners with all the details, but simply to say, the way that 5G networks are built, the, the things that make them able to push that, that volume of data through also makes them more vulnerable to certain types of attacks. So there's just an inherent cybersecurity risk in the way these program or in the way these networks are built. On top of that, when we talk about Chinese carriers like Huawei, those companies have a tendency to prioritize speed to market over security. So they're, they're less worried about securing their offerings and more worried about getting their offerings out into the marketplace. And so Huawei equipment, while it really works, it's fast, it's good, it's also riddled with cybersecurity holes. So there's just a general cybersecurity concern. The other part of that is what you and I have already been talking about, and that's the espionage concern. Even if they locked down and cleaned up all of those cybersecurity holes, you would still have the underlying Chinese law, again, that requires any Chinese company, whether they're operating domestically in China or overseas, like in the United States, to make all the data that's going across those things available to the Chinese government. And then the third category uh, of risk associated with all of this is the fact that, <clears throat> especially as, as Huawei builds out 5G 
uh, in our partner countries and, and allies in Europe and things like that, you know, with our alliances like NATO, a lot of our military interoperability and when we deploy overseas, a lot of our communications and other network traffic travels over commercial, private uh, telecommunications lines. And so even if our data is encrypted uh, and China can't grab it all, they if they control those networks, they can still what we call throttle or slow down those those communications lines, which would have a huge impact on our ability to operate overseas and our ability to you know operate alongside our, our European partners. So those are those big kind of three categories of concern when it comes to 5G. Now, there are some conspiracy theories that you know, say, I mean, there are some that actually say that COVID is a result of 5G. That is not true. There are some that say that 5G is more likely to give you cancer. That is not true. That's understandable that people would have that concern, but it's, you know, it, it's been demonstrably shown not to be the case. Um, multiple reviews. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's just, we're, this, this is coming online. I think uh, it'll be fairly, present in the United States by the end of 2022. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. I know often when we talk about technology issues ranging from 5G to issues of uh, TikTok or uh, issues of data mining and AI, I know it's easy sometimes for us to get lost in the weeds and forget kind of the ethical component for us as believers in Christ is understanding an, an ethic of human dignity. And you don't see that specifically on the international stage um, in terms of China and the way that they treat their people. There's massive human rights violations that are taking place. And there's, as you mentioned, and kind of walk through a lot of the espionage and a lot of the national security threats. I think it's easy in the world of technology to forget that we're dealing with real people. We're dealing with people created in God's image. And as those of us who may or may not be very intricately involved in the technology industry and all the details, I think it's helpful for us to understand some of the, the larger concepts and the larger debates that are going on. But to drill down to a really practical level as we kind of end our time here on Weekly Tech, what are some practical ways uh, that you would encourage us to be thinking about our technology habits, specifically in terms of security? Because I think it's easy for us to get lost in the details or to hear about all of these big issues. But what does that mean for our families in terms of the way we use technology? What does that mean for our churches and our communities about the way that we use these tools? Are there any practical advice or tips that you would give us uh, to be secure online or to be thinking about data and privacy? in a better way? Yeah, so I'll give you kind of a broad notion and then maybe a, a specific one. But the, the broad notion is, is I completely agree with you. I think as Christians, we need to understand, I would encourage a Christian to understand technology and innovation as means of God's grace for human thriving and to always approach it as such. And if you're if you're using technology in a way that does not give rise to human thriving, whether it be your own or someone else's, then you should seriously question your use of that technology or, or, or how you're going about that. Um, there are some who believe that we should innovate for innovation's sake. I don't, I don't think that's a trustworthy paradigm. Uh, I think as Christians, we need to think more carefully about that. And I also think that you know, very, very practically, maybe two things. One, Christian use of some technologies like social media should look different than the world. If, if there is no distinction in how you approach or, or leverage 
things like social media, between you and the world, um, again, I think I would encourage you humbly to examine that um, because, you know, the, the call to be salt and light certainly extends to the digital domain. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's critical in terms of your individual uh, listeners and, and how they can secure themselves. There's a number of things. The key thing I think I would recommend is like, you should all be using a password manager. That's a piece of software where you only have to remember one password and you make it a strong password. And then it creates and keeps safe all of your other passwords so that you never have to repeat uh, a password. You don't have to remember all the passwords. It's completely secure. And uh, there's a number of those out there. Uh, and I think, honestly, that's one of the most accessible and yet impactful ways that uh, we can all secure ourselves a little bit more. I think that's really helpful. And we'll make sure to link to some of those uh, some of those recommendations in the show notes for folks. What are some resources that you would recommend? I know that we covered a lot of ground very quickly. And so obviously we'll link to some things in the show notes for folks to go deeper. But is there a resource or two that you would recommend folks to pick up, uh, to read through or to listen, uh, to understand maybe and go a little bit deeper on some of these issues we've talked about today? Sure. Uh, so on the foreign policy side, there is a book called AI Superpowers by a man named Kai Fu Lee. That's K-A-I-F-U Lee, L-E-E. Uh, and it is about how artificial intelligence is um, shaping U.S. and um, Chinese uh, postures. And it's really accessible. He's really a good author, and I think it's really great. The other book, uh, so I would, I would, I would frankly recommend your book on AI. I think it's excellent. I think the way you approach it is um, is really, really good, and it's informed my thinking, and I think uh, it should inform all Christians' thinking. Uh, one supplement to that would also be Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. Um, the TechWise Family is a great book for Christians specifically to think about what place do we want technology to play in our lives. And what does it look like to live our lives in a way that is categorically different than the world's unthinking embrace of all things technical? And uh, it's a challenging book, uh, but I think it's well worth the read. And we'll make sure to link to all of those in the show notes for folks to pick up. But I definitely recommend Kai-Fu Lee's book. That was a book that I read a couple years ago, right as it came out. And it really helped me to understand the dynamics of the way that artificial intelligence is being used uh, from a U.S. perspective as opposed to a Chinese perspective. Um, and I just thought it was a really, it's a wealth of information. And there's some really good footnotes in there, too. So I definitely encourage listeners to check that out. But, Claude, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Weekly Tech today. I always enjoy talking with you and just really grateful for your work and the way that you speak to a lot of these really important and oftentimes divisive issues. So I just really appreciate the way uh, you go about your work. Well, likewise, I'm so thankful for your ministry and your work, and I'm very happy to join you today. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Klon and learn more about his work in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. It's designed to help you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date with the top technology news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.